This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, the Institute of International and European Affairs. Join the discussion on IIEA.com and access our engaging videos, blogs and podcasts. Well, good morning, everyone. You're all very, very welcome to this morning's State of the Union 2021 webinar. My name is Durva MacDonald, and I'm absolutely delighted to be chairing this morning's session, which is co-organized by three parties, the Institute of International and European Affairs, the European Commission representation in Ireland, and the European Parliament Liaison Office here in Ireland as well. And you're all very welcome to it. Before we begin, let me just through, uh, run through this morning's running order. Um, I'm first going to introduce each of our expert speakers and ask them what they're going to expect from this morning's State of the Union address. Um, we're a little bit at the mercy of the live stream when President von der Leyen goes live, but we expect that just before quarter past eight to go to share screen mode where the full State of the Union address will be live streamed and we'll all have an opportunity to tune into that. We think that's due to conclude in and around 9am and once that finished uh, we'll come back. I'm going to get some initial reactions and impressions from our expert panel on President von der Leyen's speech. Um, but there will be an opportunity later this morning for you, the audience, and thank you for joining us in such numbers. You were ready minutes before we even went live, but thanks for getting involved and please do take part in the discussion. You can do so by submitting your questions in writing via Zoom's Q&A function and please throughout the morning, throughout the speech um, or as soon as you like, get those questions in because we are going to have a decent bit of time, about 20 minutes or so at the end to engage with all of your questions. So please do join that conversation. And um, if you want to join the conversation, you can get involved in this morning's webinar on Twitter or your social media using the handles at IIEA, at EU or Ireland and at EP in Ireland. That's at IIEA, at EU or Ireland and at EP in Ireland. The hashtags I've seen are SOTEU and SOTEU21, but I'm sure there'll be lots um, of uh, opportunities there for you to join the conversation. So without further ado, let me briefly introduce you to our panel this morning morning and really uh, our speakers need no introduction. Uh, they are Senator Lisa Chambers, currently Deputy Leader of Shannad Aaron and Leader of Fianna Fáil in the Shannad following her election to the Cultural and Educational Panel, former TD for Mayo. She has served as Fianna Fáil Spokesperson and Defence and Brexit Policy and she currently sits on the Oireachtas Committee for European Affairs. David O'Sullivan is currently the Senior Councillor with Steptoe and Johnson and also serves as Chair of the European Policy Centre's EPC Governing Board, a former Sec Gen of the European Commission and former DG of the DG Trade from 2005 to 2010. He was most recently the EU's ambassador to the United States prior to that, the European External Action's Chief Operating Officer. Finally, um, let's go to Bridget Laffin, the Professor Emeritus and former director, um, recently former director of the Robert Schumann Centre in Florence. And we wish you, we just congratulate you, uh, Bridget, on a fantastic um, tenure. Um, do I really need to go through her CV? She's one of Ireland's most foremost experts on everything to do with the European Union, integration, policy, institutions, everything. And of course, before she moved to Florence, she was Professor of European Politics and Vice President at UCD. But she's delighted to be home, sea swimming nearly every day, and she says she's never, ever going to forget to live by the sea again. So you're all very, very welcome. I might just go to you, um, Bridget, first of all, what are you expecting? And maybe another question, what do you think might be omitted or minimised this time around? So I think that this for President von der Leyen, it's her second State of the Union, so it's important. Last September, it was at, in a way that Europe was still in the acute phase of COVID. So what do I expect? I think we will get that she will give her perspective and the Commission perspective on where the EU is and where her big, big internal agenda is. Remember that the commission is really driving a very major legislative agenda in areas like climate, digital. So there's an awful lot of hardcore work going on at the moment. So her, what, where that is. 
I would expect her to say something on the conference on the future of Europe. We're very unclear yet, uh, and it's important that, for example, one of the first public events of that will happen in the IIEA in Dublin in December. Uh, what she says about the Commission perspective, will she, will she argue for a health union? And then, of course, how will she handle the whole geopolitics? Afghanistan. And that's where I think if there is omission, there might be omission there. She has to say something. But it's been quite a, the withdrawal from Afghanistan has been quite a shock to the EU. And so again, it'll be interesting to see how she handles that. Absolutely. And David O'Sullivan, um, I think it would be fair to say that President von der Leyen is delivering her second speech at a moment of what we might describe as mixed political emotions. Yes, I mean, I, I think Bridget has already indicated some of the main themes. I mean, I think there'll be some self-congratulation, frankly, about the pandemic and, and the vaccination, uh, given all the criticism there was earlier in the year. And I think it is a success story by and large. Um, I think there will be uh, definitely some emphasis on the economic recovery and the, 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 the recovery fund and the money that's flowing and, and the, the economic issues uh, around that, including the, the risks to the economic recovery of, of higher inflation. Uh, I agree that uh, the geopolitical question is, is there big time. Uh, the relations with the US, relations with China. I mean, the commission has promised a new paper on China. We're having the meeting of the Trade and Technology Council with the US in Pittsburgh on the, on the 29th. And as, as Bridget has said, the aftertaste of, of Afghanistan has, has soured a little bit the relations with, with the US. How do we rebuild that? I, I think the question I'll be also looking to see whether, whether she talks about is the rule of law issue with, with Poland and Hungary. Uh, I think there's a lot of expectation in the parliament that she will somehow address this. There are some tricky legal issues about whether you call people out by name, but I'll be watching very closely to see what she says on this. Finally, I, I, the thing I, the, the dog that may not bark, I think, is Brexit. I mean, she'll have to talk about it, but honestly, I don't expect it to, to figure very prominently. I think for most of Europe, that issue has moved on. Of course, we know there's the controversy around the protocol. Mara Shevkovich was talking to the parliament yesterday, but I think she will probably uh, only make passing reference to that. And let me just bring in Lisa Chambers. I know the introductory speech uh, by the European Vice President has begun, so we expect to go now. Actually, I think that we may have to go into share screen mode. Lisa, we may have to go back. And I think that we're live and we're going to cross over now to President von der Leyen. Well, you're all very, very welcome back. Uh, long live Europe, the, the class clarion call there from President von der Leyen as we celebrated one of our Paralympians um, from the region. Just to give you um, a, a capture just uh, of some of the headlines there. It is a union without a soul. Information is a public good. Let's be bold again. Let's not create new rifts. Uh, vaccines is the greatest geopolitical issue of our time. Putting a price on pollution, standing by the Afghan people. What we need now is a, 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 a European Defence Union. There's going to be a lot of discussion, I suspect, on that. Human rights are not for sale at any price. If you don't deal with a crisis abroad, the crisis will come to you. Migration should not be used to divide us and a hybrid attack to derail Europe. We will not tolerate that. Those were just some of the headlines um, that we captured there from a speech that I know is going to be parsed and analysed um, in great depth. And we are going to be doing it uh, fresh just off the back of President von der Leyen's speech. Um, you're all very welcome back. This is your conversation too. So please send us in those questions for any of the panel um, and we will take them and we'll put them to them. I first of all want to come back to you, Lisa Chambers, um, and we will get to defence shortly. But one of the really, really dominant themes, it was the start of the speech, it ended the speech, was Europe, Europe's youth. Our youth put meaning into empathy and solidarity. There was a real, um, I suppose, thread throughout that, Lisa, not to leave this generation behind. What were your impressions um, of that priority in President von der Leyen's speech? Yes, thanks, Derville. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I feel quite good after listening to that speech. Um, I thought she did an excellent job. And, you know, I feel quite inspired and quite reassured, actually, about the path that we're going on 
you know, with the European Union and her ideas. And, you know, I didn't get a chance at the outset to, to say what I thought might come up in the speech, but I did think that she would reflect on the last year and the handling of the COVID pandemic. Uh, I had in my notes, I, I would expected her to focus on, on youth, on young people, um, unemployment, mental health, and she touched upon all of those. Uh, and I did expect her to talk about digital transformation and, and climate as well. So she, I mean, I was jotting down some notes, I'm covered in sheets of paper here, but she, she touched upon almost, just shy, same as yourself, Turville, just shy of 20 key issues. So she did, there really was something for everybody in the audience. Um, maybe not everything was palatable to every member stage, but they, I feel that she hit the right notes uh, and addressed the core issues that we all anticipated she would address, like the rule of one of the things she spoke to was um, identifying a year of European youth. She said that there has to be a soul and a vision that speaks to the new youth of Europe. One of the things that um, she has identified is a new youth programme, Alma, which I think, amongst other things, will allow people to take up work placements across the region. That issue of youth unemployment and underemployment is a big, big drag and a concern, isn't it? It is, and I think it's a fantastic initiative that 2022 will now be year of, of European youth. That's brilliant. And she linked that quite cleverly with the conference in the future of Europe, that, 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 that the youth voice and the youth perspective should be core and key to that whole endeavour that we, we make sure that we bring young people with us. What I like about the Alma initiative is that Erasmus, as we know, really it's, it's for third level students. Not every young person goes to third level, nor should they, and not everybody wants to take that path in life. So we need to open up the European Union to all young people and make it more equal and more accessible and I think this program is trying to do that so that's very clever and I think that will be will be a good success and, and she hit upon as well the huge sacrifices that young people have made you know the time that they've lost losing two years in your 20s 30s 40s you know th there's a difference uh, losing two years in your 20s when you're meant to be in college and socializing and meeting your first boyfriend and girlfriend all of those key milestones you know where if you're in your 30s 40s 50s it mightn't be as much so I think it was important to acknowledge that young people have made I think the biggest sacrifice in this pandemic and now we're putting our money where our mouth is there's going to be a budget there we're reaching out to young people and we want them at the center uh, of our, our European policy so yeah I think that was a really um, good and I, I think as well, just to go back to another topic, she obviously addressed the pandemic and, and, and the fact that we're still in it. But she came out fighting, you know, when the vaccine programme started, it was a rocky start for the EU. And she came under quite strong criticism that the European Union was too bureaucratic, too much red tape. We spent too long negotiating on price and not enough time just getting the vaccines. And I think she was very strong to begin with saying, we've been very successful. We've run a very successful vaccine programme. We're now helping other uh, less advantaged countries. And that's a top priority for the EU and that we have recovered quicker than other major economies. So I think she was clear to point out the wins and the strengths of the union. I think that was an important message for her to get out there as well. And can I just bring uh, David O'Sullivan in that, because David, as you predicted, just I suppose in the, the pre-match discussion that there would be to some extent a level of self-congratulation on, on COVID. Um, what uh, President von der Leyen said was that there was every reason to be confident, but that was no reason um, to be complacent. Um, I think the first round of applause that you received was for um, that announcement that another 200 million doses would be donated, really trying to make great capital on the European Union's donations, as well as the uptake, I think close to 70% of the adult population. What did you think of her um, self-assessment of uh, the European Union's handling of COVID? Well, firstly, if I can just echo very strongly what Lisa said about the emphasis on youth. I mean, I think this was a very good speech, and I, I really do think that this youth issue is, is pivotal. I mean, I, I come from the older generation at this point in my life, uh, but I have children, and I'm very conscious of all the points that Lisa has made, and I thought it was very good that uh, the president really emphasized that. I think there's a huge investment uh, in youth in Europe to be done. I, I won't comment further. I agreed up with everything that Lisa said, and, and I, 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 it's great that this is a priority. Uh, on the, on the, 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 the vaccines and the, and the pandemic, look, I think she, she I don't think she, she wasn't too self-congratulatory, but I think she did correct the, the image, which was there at an early stage, as we know that somehow this was all a disaster and badly managed and everything else. I mean, there were difficulties and there are lessons to be learned because the EU had to deal with this it, something has never dealt with before. Frankly, the European Commission was asked to take on this role, which it had never done in its life. Uh, and I think in the end, it has worked out not too badly. 
uh, as she said, uh, no room for complacency, but actually with, there are some issues in, in some of the Central European countries where the vaccine rates are well are far too low. But in general, uh, the, 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 the system has worked well. The, the common procurement by the EU has been a critical factor in enabling all member states to have equal access to vaccines, which would not necessarily have been the case if we'd gone off in 27 separate directions. Uh, and I think then her point about a health union, uh, about this creation now of a, um, a health emergency response uh, uh, act. There's going to be some institutional argy-bargy about this because it's not entirely clear how this will be done. Will the parliament be involved and so on? But I think it's, you know, once again, these crises demonstrate some of the deficiencies we have in the way we're organized at European level uh, and some of the limits of what we can do as individual countries and why we need to, to do more together. And I think the, the threat of a future pandemic uh, is clearly there and there are lessons which must be learned from this experience and, and drawn for the future so that we're better equipped uh, to deal with this in the future. And on the, 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 the international scene, look, there will always be, I mean, the, the gap between the developed world and the developing is vast. Uh, and it's not easy to, 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 to bridge it. Uh, you can say we've given 250 million, another 250 million. I mean, these are drops in the ocean, let us be honest, compared to the needs. But we need a, a, a major international effort. And I think the EU has already done a lot. I hope we can do more, as has been said. But we need others uh, to contribute. The EU alone cannot bridge this vast gap between the vaccination levels uh, in, in the developed world and, and the needs of, of the developing countries. Let me bring uh, Bridget Laffin in there. First of all, Bridget, your um, initial thoughts and observations, but particularly with your knowledge of the institutions, is that a, you know that nod to a European health union beginning with this new HERA health um, um, response, emergency response authority, was that an acknowledgement that perhaps the huge multiplicity of agencies that had different responsibilities during the pandemic perhaps didn't maybe initially come together as well as they could, that now we're going to have, I suppose, maybe an overarching response that will bring together all of those competencies. And a not insignificant figure too, Bridget, um, 50 billion by, I think, 2022 or 2023. My notes are that rapid um, here this morning. I'm sure they're seeing yourself. But ju just on that, your initial thoughts and really is this a response, this new authority to perhaps maybe a lack of institutional um, I suppose, unity at the outset of this crisis? So I think, as David said, uh, the EU has very limited confidence and only a supporting confidence under the treaties in health. So given that there was really the, the infrastructure, the ecosystem didn't exist, it clearly is now the case that in order to ensure that future pandemics are responded to much more effectively, there needs to be at the European level a stronger competence and capacity to coordinate. I don't think that the EU is going to take over health policy. Rather, it, it will involve itself in those areas where there really are transnational threats, pandemics are transnational, but also in ways where it brings added value. So I see this as a learning from the crisis. Mm. Yeah, no, it is uh, significantly, and um, and I think that um, that really just it, she was very, I think, felt very, very strong on on that role, the wider role that the EU has to play um, on the global sphere. I want to um, talk to you all just about. Um, defence, uh, because it was a very strong um, statement But what we need now is a European defence union. She talked about how uh, one had not succeeded because of a lack of a political will. Um, she said you can't talk about defence unless you talk about cyber. One of the questions, can it be done within the current treaty um, obligations? And as we heard under the French presidency, um, there will be a joint defence summit held with uh, President Macron of France. David, I'm going to go back to you just on this, because obviously it's an issue of some sensitivity for member states, um, including ourselves. The notion of a European Defence Union is always a quite sensitive one. Can it be done within the treaties, as she appeared to suggest? Well, I mean, 
it's an interesting, I mean, she, she chose the label European Defense Union, it's ambitious. Uh, some would say maybe provocative for some, um, but I think if you actually unpack what she proposed, uh, it is stuff that can be done within, within the treaties. I mean, what I liked about what she said about defense, and I really feel strongly about this, is people keep talking about battle groups or you know 5,000 troops ready to go here or there. This is not actually the challenge of Europe's defense. Uh, what she mentioned is the challenge. It is the new hybrid warfare. It is cyber. Uh, it is intelligence gathering capabilities. And I see there's a question in, in a chat from Brigadier General Ahern about that. Um, so I thought she, and, and it's about the interoperability of equipment because we waste so much money uh, in, 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 in duplicatory spending across our member states. Collectively, Europe has one of the largest defense budgets in the world after, after the Americans, but nobody thinks we get that, the kind of defense output for that money that, that other people do. So I, I thought she put the emphasis on a modern definition of the challenges we face. I mean, this is about our collective security. Uh, and I, we, we, we are neutral as Ireland, but we're, we're neutral in terms of military alliances. I don't think we're neutral in, in, in putting a value on the security of, of Europe and the European Union and our neighbors. And I think we can all cooperate together. Now, the question of intelligence sharing is hugely sensitive, but honestly, it is critical. If you look at the four years I spent in Washington, one of the things I noted was the key role of the intelligence community in Washington in helping to define policy in, in terms of security. And we're lacking that. So that is right. The cyber is right. And I think the interoperability. So I think she's hit the right headlines. And we should look at the substance and not be sort of distracted by a phrase like, oh, defense union, European army, etc. It's about how we collectively better ensure the security of our citizens. Yeah. And David, she really captured that you know when she was saying that um you know speaking to this kind of new type of world we're in the uh you know the higher threats of confrontation regional rivalries she said um, and i'm paraphrasing again because my writing was quite quick but she was saying is you know we don't need missiles all you need now is a laptop and i wanted to share with you before i go to lisa chambers a question from um from a retired uh, general um brigadier general jerry hearn who's a member of the iiea he says the speech admits the deep desire for a sharing of available a full spectrum and intelligence or information on all issues within the union. This admits to a dependency and not an independence of collection or analysis or dissemination of intelligence on the part of the EU as an entity. This essential independence of capability by the EU does not exist simply because the EU member states, <clears throat> especially the larger ones, to date will simply not accede to that EU independence. He's wondering how can this barrier be overcome? And many, many thanks um, to you, um, Brigadier General um, uh, Gerhard, for your um, for, for your comment. Lisa, just on that, um, it doesn't matter less that we use a term that's challenging for some, such as European Defence Union, and that it is more, as David said, speaking to the substance and to the reality of the newer challenges that we face. If you could just unmute yourself there. Thank you, Gerbil. Apologies. Um, it does matter. Words matter. And the, the title and the description we use absolutely matters. So I mean, when, when she spoke about a European Defence Union, it was the only point in the speech where my jaw dropped. And I thought this is going to get a reaction here in Ireland um, because it's always been a debate whenever we have uh, treaty debates or, for example, a couple of years ago when I was a um, defence spokesperson for my party, the PESCO debate was, 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 was high on the agenda here in Ireland. And it always focuses back when we discuss it here nationally, it focuses on boots on the ground and army and that's not what she's talking about you know we are in a new space and she spoke about the the the, the different threats that we now face as member states and as a union uh cyber threats uh the the, the arms race in space so it is you know as a small member state it is of benefit to Ireland to work collectively with other member states to pool our resources on things like intelligence, information sharing and, and tackling cyber threats. And we only have to look to the recent attack on the HSE here in Ireland and the devastating impact that that cyber attack had on our country. And we're still dealing with that in the middle of a pandemic. So we need to work with other member states. It's in Ireland's interest to do this. But to do that, we have to have an honest conversation and a discussion here domestically on what that looks like 
and what it means and answer all of those questions. People have genuine concerns, you know, and I think we have to be very upfront in answering those questions and having that debate. It's going to take us some time. So to answer the question posed by Brigadier General Ger Hearn, how do we overcome those obstacles or those barriers? I think the conference um, uh, that, that that's going to take place under the French presidency, that's a really good step. That's a clever move by Macron, actually, uh, because this is a clear priority for the, 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 the French government and the French president to move on this issue. And that's his stamp, I think, on that uh, particular address that, that, that von der Leyen gave today. So that's a step forward. And I, I do think that member states are becoming those that might have been more reluctant to engage uh, in these types of debates, I think are in a different space now um, because they're seeing the threats of cyber uh, at home and on their own doorstep. No country is safe, you know, and we always thought as Ireland as a small military neutral uh, country, uh, not an entirely neutral country, that we were somehow protected or, or untouchable. I think we've now seen firsthand that we're not. So it's an important discussion that we'll have to have here domestically. And I hope that we will engage fully uh, in the plans for that, that, that EU con uh, conference between um, on defence. And, and just on that, um, uh, Bridget Laffin, um, Clodagh Queen, who's a defence researcher at the IAEA, um, you know, says, what are the panel's expectations on the summit on European defence with President Macron? How might this align with the strategic compass process to be finalised in early 2002, which I think is also under the French EU presidency? Words, as Lisa says, do matter. I presume that those words, European Defence Union, were considered very, very carefully before they were um, included in that speech. Uh, yes, indeed, because the EU tends to think of projects. So defense union is a, a project. Health union, it's a project. Projects then involve all sorts of processes, institutions, discussions, deliberation. And then if they, they mature, then you get policy, you get instruments, and you get action. So I regard the Defence Union label as a label that encompasses all that David and Lisa spoke about, all the things that Europe absolutely needs to work on. Because we, we have, to, I thought her reading, uh, von der Leyen's reading of global geopolitics was very subtle. I think she was careful. Uh, she talked about regional rivalries, tech sovereignty, vulnerabilities. She talked about hyper-competition. In other words, the EU and Europe and Europeans, we've got to wake up to the fact that the world beyond the borders of Europe is not quite secure, not settled, not stable, and that we're really at a switching time in world history where she used the phrase new world order. She's right. Yeah. And the kind of world that's emerging now from, you know, relations between China, US, the role of Europe, the neighborhood, all of that. And I think one of the problems in Ireland, and I say this in Ireland, that we have Part of our society is extraordinarily international, and even parts of our state structure are extraordinarily international, the IDA, MTMA, and all these institutions. But we can also descend to a lot of inward thinking and small island thinking. And the reality is, as Lisa said, the HSE was taken down by cyber from another country. So I think we need uh, also uh, a discussion in Ireland about how a small country manages to have a contribution that shapes a world that's going to be very different. And I think that that will involve defence and security. And I don't think it's about boots on the ground, but I do think that it will be about what I would call Europe's collective capacity. Will Europe have the collective capacity to tackle climate, tech, digital, cyber, et cetera, et cetera? And that's really where we are. And I think it's 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 not that Ireland or any other small state is absorbed into the EU system, doesn't have agency and voice, but rather we have to look very carefully at the environment. And I'm going to come back to climate later, but I want to pick up on something you said there, Bridget, um, and I'll throw it to David O'Sullivan. Uh, David, Bridget said that she thought that uh, President von der Leyen was quite subtle um, in some respects. I thought on China and a couple of other issues, including uh, US and climate change, but also China, um, that 
she wasn't very subtle at all. In fact, I thought uh, there was some sort of very strong, um, if not quite denouncements, but pronouncements on a number of issues that I felt that she was sending a message out to those um, to those wider allies and partners. Yes, if I can just go back to briefly to what Bridget said, I mean, I, I think the, the issue in Ireland is we've never really had a, a debate about national security. Exactly. <laughs> we don't have a national security, but we must be one of the few countries in the world that doesn't have a national. And I think that's the debate that I think Lisa was referring to and others. I think that's the debate we have to have, because if we want to plug into or object to uh, a European security policy, we need to decide what our own security policy is. And I don't think it's simply defined by, by military neutrality. It has and to you know what, David, we, we just have a comment from Peter McNamara, uh, who, who supports that. He said, I feel it's time we confronted the ignorance around Irish neutrality and took a poll on attitudes to it. An information campaign needs to be launched to inform prior to this. Um, could the EU facilitate this, please? But yeah, echoing your kind of views that we haven't really had a mature uh, or significant public debate about those issues. This place to focus on neutrality, frankly. I mean, neutrality is, you know, we can talk about it, but the real issue is what's our national security strategy? How are we going to protect this country? And what can we do ourselves? And what do we need to do collectively with others? Uh, it, it, so that's the point. Uh, yeah, I, I also thought she was quite tough on China. I, I thought the, uh, the the global gateway, I mean, we knew this was coming, uh, is, is clearly uh, a competitive proposal to the One Belt, One Road initiative and to Chinese investment uh, uh, in our neighborhood, but also uh, going towards the Indo-Pacific. So uh, I thought what she said about forced labor was clearly uh, targeting uh, production in China. So yeah, I thought she was, I mean, I, I thought what was interesting and what I actually quite liked is she didn't kind of go through every bit of the world. You know, she had a passing reference to the US, the, the importance of the transatlantic alliance, but she didn't dwell on it. Um, China, so she didn't try to sort of box tick references to everyone. It was more implicit, as, as Bridget said, in, in the substance of what she was saying. So you would imply a reference also to Russia in, in some of the stuff. Uh, she did mention Belarus, rightly, because I think the weaponization of, of, of the migration has been uh, uh, frankly obscene. Uh, so I, I, I think, I thought she was quite, quite, quite outspoken. I look forward very much to see what the paper on China, which is promised for the yeah. Is going to say because this is one of the defining issues of the 21st century for us all, you know. And what she said, Bridget Lappin, in respect to China, was uh, she raised the question again is that um, she welcomed um, some of the um, declarations on climate, but she said that um, how will China get there? So looking for more detail um, as to how that would be done, and obviously a new strategy in terms of the global gateway, citing um, a team global approach, perhaps a nod to the Team Ireland moniker. That we have but um but really kind of um in a way sort of inviting china to to step up on its commitments and to particularize them on climate yes and i mean europe's uh, eu's attitude to china has shifted over the last couple of years i think one of the things that that we haven't talked about of course is that background uh, that this state of the union takes place at a time when there's a very significant German election coming up and a very significant French election coming up. So we're at a time where politics on the continent is shifting. Uh, and so I think for a lot of the EU in the world, the next German government will, will be very important because Germany has always tried to divide the world into there's commerce, and we keep exporting. And then there's all the geopolitics and we try to keep that separate, but that can't be separated, including with China for all of the reasons that you said in the future. So I think it will be, uh, the next state of the union will be very interesting because it will come after those very important uh, elections. Because of course, she also, the commission as an institution relies very much on getting buy-in from the capitals. But I do think on China, I, I agree that she was more vocal. When, when I used uh, the word subtle, it was more about the way in which she depicted the shifts that are happening. I think she was clear on China in, in and she's right, uh, I mean, she's right on climate. She's also right on, on forced labor. Yeah, China should not get a pass into the markets of other countries, uh, particularly the, the single market, a massive market, uh, easily. It needs to be confronted on 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 both domestic issues, but also on, on climate. Um, sorry. Um...
the, the perils of um of uh, uh, working from home. I wanted to speak to you all just about um Afghanistan and um, because. President von der Leyen was very, very strong on Afghanistan and um, paying tribute to the soldiers, diplomats and others, um, and also to um, and particularly the Afghan Afghanistan judges and others and very strong on the theme of women. Um, Lisa, was that a, a, an important um, statement or commitment to make, do you feel? Absolutely. I think it was expected that she would address the issue, and I think she did it in a very comprehensive way. And again, announcing an extra 100 million in aid from the European Union. Um, to the people of Afghanistan and very clearly saying we stand with the people of Afghanistan. I thought it was interesting that you focused on, on women and then those defending human rights and those protecting the rule of law. So she actually linked the rule of law issue uh, to the whole debate around Afghanistan, which I thought was very, was very good um, and appropriate. And, you know, she focused on um, women, children, judges, uh, and that I thought it was quite stri striking when she spoke about the, the female judges who are now um, fleeing from those they have put away. Um, I think it painted a very grim picture to really to really humanise um, what's been happening, which is just, and I, and I think she very correctly pointed out that it, it is very close to becoming a humanitarian disaster. Um, and we have a responsibility as global citizens and as a union to do something about that. Uh, and I think that was her subtle way of sending a message to the United States as well. I think so. And one thing I know we won't get to anything, but Bridget Laugh, and one thing that really struck me that I was delighted to see an inclusion on not just on forced labour, um, she was very strong, human rights are not for sale at any price, but the shadow pandemic of um, domestic abuse and violence against women around the world. Um, I was heartened to see that. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think, and, and we haven't talked about the fact that uh, von der Leyen is a woman, but I actually think that we can see in her speeches, uh, she, she does, uh, she has empathy and she does respond to, 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 to particular challenges that women experience, both in Europe and, and globally. And she always she uses women also very symbolically. Her use, her her um, the fact that she had invited the Italian, the wonderful Italian fencer, the Paralympic, to be there and to receive. So I think she actually is uh, in her again. She's putting her stamp on the State of the Union and on her role as Commission President. And it was a very rocky start. She wasn't the Spitzenkandidaten. She had the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. So I also saw a more confident von der Leyen today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I say, it was, it was good to see that um, included. David, um, we spoke earlier at the outset about um, what we might expect to see included and what might be omitted or minimised. Migration did get a, um, a, a call in. What wasn't mentioned, which is obviously of huge um, significance here in Ireland, was Brexit. And I'm wondering, and you just saw the hazards of the Zoom era <laughs> with me there just a few moments ago, but I'm wondering uh, with Brexit, has, has the European Union decided um, to, to mute that issue? Yeah, I, I think I said in our pre-match commentary that I, I, I thought it might get a reference, but it wouldn't be dealt with extensively. In fact, she chose to, to not talk about it, and that was a conscious decision. I think probably the right one in terms of sending a message to the British government that, you know, the EU may be on the front pages of British newspapers every day, but actually the rest of Europe has moved on. The UK has made its decision. Uh, there are issues there. There'll be complex negotiations that will go on for a long time. Uh, but basically, uh, we're now going ahead with, with our plans and our projects, and we will deal with the relationship with the UK uh, as with any other close neighbour. Uh, of course, for Irish people, it's, it's a completely different calculation because it's uh, intensely uh, emotional and, 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 and uh, real for us. Uh, I think there has been a conscious decision, as Tony Connolly has been pointing out in, in, in his uh, articles uh, over the summer. I think they decided that the British government was using a tactic of constantly escalating, mm -hmm. trying to suck the EU into a confrontation uh, because it fueled domestic politics. It had nothing to do with substance. It just was about uh, creating uh, a sort of bogeyman that you could play to your domestic uh, political base. The EU has decided not to play that game. Uh, so we, we've 
taken a much more uh, low-key approach uh, on the protocol, but heavily invested. I mean, Mara Shevkovich is heavily invested in the time he was in Dublin, he was in Belfast. He's going to go back. He's going to come out with very concrete proposals to address the real practical issues that are there in the implementation of the protocol. Uh, but I think he wants also to work more with uh, the institutions in Northern Ireland to give them a sense of, of I won't say ownership, but of, of, of having a voice in how all this works. And I think that's the strategy of the Commission. I, I think they don't want to make this uh, a sort of daily um, megaphone diplomacy. Uh, now, there are, there's unease on the part of some member states about all this because the, the good faith of the UK government is very much in question in all of this. But I think people for the moment are going to sort of try and play it down and see if we can just play this long uh, and, and deal with the issues as they arise, but in a very pragmatic and, and low-key way. And I think that that's reflected in the fact that she chose not to talk about the issue. Yeah, Lisa uh, Chambers, uh, Colin Rafter, uh, former GFA, um, says, how do we interpret the lack of any mention of UK Northern Ireland or Brexit? Emily Binchy, who's a justice researcher at the IA, says, Brexit was notably absent from President von der Leyen's address, even in naming reliable partners. Would the panel take this as reflective of a will to move on from years of a Brexit-dominated agenda, or does it, is it uh, something more pointed you're a former uh, Brexit uh, spokesperson what was your, uh, your your sense of the the omission um, of, of the B word yeah I'm really happy that she didn't mention it at all I think that's a good thing I don't think we should be in any way upset or take it as a slight against Ireland that it wasn't mentioned it doesn't mean that the commission and the European Union are not focused on assisting Ireland in the difficulties that we continue to have with Brexit and, and, and as David pointed out Mara Sefcovich you know has made himself very much available to Ireland, to the Parliament uh, at all levels in terms of Rockets committees and, and speaking to the different ministers. So they're very much working with Ireland, but it was really important. This was a speech where we are emerging from a global pandemic and Brexit was also a threat to the Union. It was a destabilising um, process that had, you know, a significant detrimental effect uh, on the European Union when it was at its, at, its, at its height. So I think it's really important in a speech where she was talking about recovery and charting a pathway forward and the future of Europe. And it was about positivity and moving forward forward, I think it sent a very strong message. You're not being mentioned because you're not part of our future. Um, and, and we're not going to waste any more valuable resources and time in, 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 in what David Wright has said, playing into that domestic political agenda in the United Kingdom, which does not serve the interests of the European Union or of Ireland. So I, I think it was clever. I think it was appropriate. Uh, and as I said, I was pleased that it wasn't um, mentioned because I think it sent an even stronger message than, than even a slight nod to the topic was. But as I said, I think Ireland's interests are still very much to the fore and we shouldn't uh, be in any way concerned that it wasn't mentioned in this speech. I think quite the opposite actually. Bridget, you know it's been a, a speech of interest when economy is one of the last issues that you're getting to instead um, of the first. Um, uh, President von der Leyen saying the Commission will relaunch the discussion on European governance um, uh, ahead of 2023. Again, struggling with my own handwriting here. But she spoke about the success, 30-year anniversary of this single market as the great enabler, I think as she described it, of progress. Uh, she said the single market was critical for a digital single market. And just one of the questions there um, that we have from Doris Alexander. She says, in the State of the Union document um, uh, on the AC website, research and innovation is mentioned as having contributed to vaccine development and in the interest demonstrated in the first great deal call in Horizon Europe and also in terms of HERA, as we talked about that new authority. She said, however, it wasn't really mentioned during her speech in terms of its value in addressing priorities other than the EU chip ecosystem. Um, she outlined, so I suppose it's a question that speaks to the economy and, and this new kind of departure in terms of growing international partnerships. How did you feel she did on the um, economy front? So I, I, I think that uh, she, she really wanted to focus on the European chip because she saw that as the vulnerability, the supply chain issue. So she used a lot of her time on that for a very specific reason. On the wider economy, I thought what, what I took was firstly lessons from the Eurozone crisis. It's really important that a Commission president said we have learned some lessons from the Eurozone crisis. She also flagged that growth had returned. Uh, and so I think broadly on the economy, it, it is firstly there's a, an immediate recovery, but there are all these longer term structural shifts. And for her, 
this was digital, and then she focused on the chip, and I think she's right. On the role of research and development, the, the EU this year is launching Horizon Europe, which is a massive, massive research and innovation programme. So I, I don't think the fact that she didn't major on it is, is, is remarkable one way, or one way or the other. Uh, of course, how Europe adapts to these structural shifts in the economy and how it manages to do so in terms of welfare and social justice. That also, when she began to speak in French, she began to speak about the uh, social market economy and all of that. So I think uh, Europe will be challenged in the next phase in terms of, of, of the digital transformation. But at least her speech says that she and the commission are fully aware of it. She said there's buy-in in the member states. So again, this is a set of processes uh, that are that are that will gather momentum. So I, I thought on the economy again, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a strong speech. Yeah, and David, uh, digital uh, President von der Leyen said is the make or break issue. Yes, it is. I mean, we, we shouldn't neglect the fact that there are, you know, there is still a lot of unfinished business out of the, the Eurozone crisis. Uh, we still have the, the revision of the Stability and Growth Pact. We still have Banking Union. Uh, we still have Capital Markets Union. And as she mentioned, there's going to be the vexed issue of, of taxation. So uh, there, there's, a, there's a huge agenda there uh, in the economic, which she only sort of glanced, glanced upon. And I don't blame her because there's not a lot that she can say uh, that, this, that the stuff is on the table. It's been discussed and and we hope it will it will come to a successful conclusion um, on the digital... it's a question of when because Daryl Lawler says or Daryl Lawler says do you foresee there being a conclusion to the debate on fiscal um uh, deadline or fiscal rules by the deadline of 2023 given David all you've outlined there um is that quite ambitious it's ambitious but I mean I, I I think I mean I think she was specifically referring there to taxation and to what's happening with the OECD and the fact that if there is finally a deal there it will have to be uh, translated into European legislation I, I think it's, we know this is very difficult for Ireland uh, but I, I think in Ireland we have to be clear-eyed that this is a, an agenda that's going ahead and uh, at some point we're going to have some 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 tough choices so I think there will be a big push uh, on this issue. Uh, uh, and I think it's not unrealistic to say that it could be resolved in, in, in that time frame, frankly. But the, the, the economy, you know, she put the emphasis on the positive and she's right because people tend to talk down the European economy too much. Um, and she's right that we're growing faster. There is a, a quite a big bounce back. There's some worrying news on the inflation front. I mean, the ECB is still not clear, you know, exactly how we're going to manage the, the sort of phase out of the, of the public spending. All member states are going to face challenges and we will in Ireland about how to wind down the heavy degree of public spending which went with the pandemic, uh, how you phase that, how you eventually address, address the issue of debt overhang, which is going to be a problem for many countries. And also issue, uh, David, the, the whole question of rising energy prices, which is uh, going to be a huge challenge across the region and also a potential, I suppose, threat to the, to, to, to the Green Deal. Bridget Laffin, it's um, uh, some tough choices ahead. Very tough choices ahead, but the Green Deal that, you know, over 90 different pieces of legislation, half of them are on the table, many of them are not yet adopted, but the kind of transformation we're all facing in our societies to handle climate, the climate challenge is just, it, it's, it's, we've got, we're, we've started, but we've a long, long way to go. And again, it's transformative. So very tough choices, but I think, you know, we can have floods and fires. So we've got to accept what science is telling us that we can't delay the adjustments any longer across the world, not yeah. just in Europe. You can't, you can't um, negotiate with nature, as people say, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, We've had so many questions. I really want to thank everybody at home or wherever you are for all of your engagement with it. I won't be as crude as to ask for marks out of 10, but I just finally, uh, before we head off um, uh, for the morning, I might just go to each of our panellists just for some final thoughts or closing remarks on the speech. And I'll begin with you, uh, Lisa Chambers. And if you unmute yourself, if you can. 
you think I'd have gotten the hang of it I at this know. stage. <laughs> My apologies. Um, no, I think it was an, I think it was a very good speech. I think she was inspiring. She hit the right notes. There was the appropriate focus on, on young people, on youth and driving the agenda for the European Union. Um, as I said, she, she left out Brexit, which I think is actually a good thing for the EU as well. Her focus on climate, be, uh, there was the last topic we discussed, I think was very strong. And she said about if you don't believe what's in front of your eyes, believe the science. And she ref referenced the IPCC report as well. And, you know, spoke about Europe doing its its part and publishing the appropriate legislation, the first major economy to publish legislation, making it legally binding to reach certain targets and, and calling out other economies that are not doing the same things. That was a very important point. Um, and, and I think her, her her notes on Afghanistan, on human rights, rule of law, again, very appropriate. I think the two takeaways for Ireland, the two things that maybe will be will give us something to, to mull over in, in the coming weeks and months were her comments on a defence union. Uh, I think that's going to spark a debate here nationally. And also her comments on taxation, uh, the need for um, minimum uh, corporate taxation rates that the companies benefit from the infrastructure, from the education of our citizens. And it's only right and fair and just that they pay their, their fair share of taxes. Again, I think they're the two key takeaways that, as I would see um, for Ireland to kind of to, to, to grapple with in the coming weeks and months. And just thanks to all the, the participants as well. It was fantastic and, and a pleasure to join everyone this morning and yourself, Derva, for chairing. Really engaged. David O'Sullivan, um, your predictions were on point. What are your uh, closing thoughts um, following uh, the speech this morning? I thought it was an excellent speech. Uh, uh, I mean, I've, I've been involved in a few of these in my time. Uh, uh, I, I thought that was a very professional uh, well, well put together, uh, hit all the right points. I mean, I like the fact that she combined the sort of big picture, the climate change, the global Europe and all of that with some of the slightly softer stuff, youth. Uh, uh, I, I liked the, the emphasis on women. I agree with uh, Bridget that this is something that she has brought. Um, uh, uh, and I thought she got, the, you know, there was a little bit of showman razzmatazz having the, the, the Italian fencer there, uh, borrowing a little bit from the kind of State of the Union stuff you see in, in, in Washington, uh, but still full of content, but well presented. And I must say, generally speaking, I, I think she made the best possible presentation. We know that there is some grumblings uh, in the Parliament and elsewhere about the Commission. Relations are, are a little bit strained. I think this speech will have done gone a long way to convincing people that she really is someone who, who heads a commission that has ambition, uh, ideas, is sensitive to the human dimension of everything that we're doing, and at the same time has an agenda. So, But it's, it's a vast agenda, and we should not underestimate the challenge for all of us to help her deliver, because it's not she who has to deliver, it's, it's, it's all of us. It's, it's, it's the governments, member states, the parliament. Uh, so, I know, very good speech. Yeah, um, uh, and finally, Bridget Laffin, long live Europe. She was really, really uh, <laughs> energised at the end of that speech. She threw her heart into, into that. What were your thoughts um, on the State of the Union address? So, uh, the dominant word in last year's speech was fragility. Mm. This year, it was confident. It was strong, confident, purposeful, and a speech for the future. It wasn't talking too much about legacy stuff. It was really very focused on the future. And I think that's obviously the important contribution the EU makes to all of the, its member states and peoples is that it helps forge the future because we're too small on our own. So that, that emphasis on the future, the emphasis on young people, uh, the balance between the sort of internal EU and, and, and the external. And as I said earlier, she brings that empathy uh, and she understands that she must connect with, with people and not just with institutions and with member states. Can I say in relation to Ireland, uh, I'm, I'm, I agree fundamentally with what Lisa has said about defence and taxation, but I would like to make a broader point, and that is that these are very big projects we heard about today, and there's huge le legislative agendas behind all of them. And it's really important because our system had to focus so much on Brexit over the last number of years that we almost should do a, a, a stress testing of the, of the administrative and political management of our engagement with Brussels and the other member states at this stage, just to check, are, are our systems robust enough to, for that vast array of collective collaborative policymaking that's coming? down the tubes in Europe. And I think that's something because of Brexit that we really, you, you can only focus on so much. I, I would think someone in government needs to start thinking about, is the system 
overall capable of managing and contributing to the development of EU policy, but also protecting Irish interests in that. That institutional uh, robustness. On behalf of the IAEA, the European Commission Representation Ireland and the European Parliament Liaison Office in Ireland, I want to thank all of you for your intense and fantastic engagement this morning and personally love to thank thank David, Bridget and Lisa for making my job as chair such um, an easy and thoroughly enjoyable one. I hope that you, like me, have really enjoyed this morning. I'm sure it will be available um, to look back um, uh, on the IAEA. IIEA's website and others, but I hope you continue the conversation and thanks a million for joining us this morning. This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, the Institute of International and European Affairs. Join the discussion on IIEA.com and access our engaging videos, blogs and podcasts.